Well, good. It's morning for me, but it's going to be afternoon for you, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mir, Alberta. And uh, we have a very exciting guest again today. Uh, somebody who has been spending a lot of his time, well, actually, I mean, probably all of your time, um, doing what he does best, and that is saving lives. And in doing so, uh, he has, uh, how do I put this? I, I like to use the analogy, you've had your restaurant door is chained shut by the government because they don't like what you're doing and how they're doing it. And when I read, you know, when I read about this, like I, I couldn't believe it because the stories and the testimonials coming out from the United States, from people that you've helped and your team has helped. And now all of a sudden it seems like um, they're just trying to, trying to get you boggles my mind. I have to tell you, it's astonishing. I never thought I'd land up at the whistle stop cafe again. Uh, so cold up, uh, up in your neck of the woods. Uh, let me tell you, I'm down in Texas. It's a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, but I, I could be the first doctor in modern history to be stripped of my entire residency and my fellowship, six years of my life, uh, multiple certification exams, uh, perfect uh, track record clinically, spotless uh, record from a practice-based learning perspective. The first one stripped for political reasons, purely for political reasons. Now, uh, to just help Canadians understand, in the United States, doctors have state medical licenses, just like hairdressers and dentists and veterinarians do. That's simply like a license to operate a, a business. And uh, my state license is fine. But uh, but the national boards and colleges, just like you have a royal college in Canada, they actually certify a doctor, you know, being qualified to do what he or she uh, does, in, you know, based on their training and their examination record. And it's rigorous. It's a rigorous, uh, uh, you know, a set of standards to meet. And that's what we demand in modern day medicine, both countries. Uh, and so prior to COVID, everything was fine. There was no difficulties. And then in 2021, in September, the American Board of Internal Medicine, which certifies all internal medicine and medicine subspecialists, probably about you know, 300,000 doctors in the United States, uh, they announced a COVID misinformation policy, but they didn't wow. define what misinformation was. They didn't define what we could or couldn't say. They simply said they're gonna have a policy and begin to uh, you know, search for doctors who they uh, believe are spreading misinformation. Then they went back in time and they picked statements I made in the in the Texas Senate testimony on March 10th, 2021. So they went ex post facto. They also picked out other statements and said, we think these statements are misinformation. Uh, we're going to hold a hearing on you, a credentials uh, a meeting hearing. So uh, they gave me a chance to give a written response and I gave a detailed 20 page written response. I cited every source of data. You know, as Canadians, have learned to expect from me. I'm a national commentator on multiple TV stations and I'm constantly citing the data so people can understand this is an evolving pandemic. Sources of information emerge, the virus is mutated. Then, they, then what happened is the American Board of Internal Medicine held a meeting. They wouldn't let me attend despite my request. And they concluded that in fact, I should be stripped of my uh, credentials. And uh, they then brought forward the evidence that they thought refuted my statements. So they actually brought evidence out after the fact. So that they've, uh, through this process, had uh, procedural, uh, a tremendous legal procedural uh, errors. And um, for instance, uh, there appears to be no equal protection. There's, there's no signs that they applied this policy equally. Uh, they went ex post facto after the fact. They didn't allow due process, didn't allow me to, to attend uh, the meeting. Uh, and then most importantly, uh, they're violating my civil rights. You know, I have a, a right to be able to 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 interpret information and and give my fair opinion. In the 2018, the Supreme Court upheld doctors' uh, rights to maintain free speech, and uh, you know, I think this should be a warning to anyone that uh, I wasn't the only one singled out by the ABIM. It was almost all doctors who had given uh, U.S. Senate and State Senate testimonies. Wow, that's uh, one of the first things you mentioned there about politics so we recently had a conversation with dr william mackies are you familiar with uh, dr mackies candidate no i'm not okay so i'll send you some links after the show but basically uh he's been kind of speaking out against this stuff as well similar to what you've been doing uh he was an oncologist he actually ran the Can uh, cross cancer institute in edmonton 
which was arguably one of the leading cancer uh, uh, treatment clinics in the world. And they had tre tremendous success with uh, with some cutting edge cancer treatments, one of them being the uh, radionucleotide uh, treatment targeted treatments where these somehow these uh, atoms or whatever, they, they target individual cancer cells. Only the cancer cells have receptors for this for this thing that they're putting in people and it and it blows it up it gets rid of the cancer it doesn't harm the cells around it like the uh, more intrusive uh, methods that we use now do and he had an 85 to 90 percent success rate with uh, cancer patients that other doctors wouldn't touch they just dumped it on the cancer institute and, and end of life yeah 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 and end of life cancer and he he cured them and what ended up happening is due to some political maneuvering in Alberta Health Services with the College of Physicians and Surgeons and the Alberta government, um, they they effectively killed his practice, closed that treatment in that area and moved it to Vancouver under the supervision of somebody else because it was political stuff. The Liberal government wanted the, the, the treatment center in Vancouver. So he realized that politics were affecting medicine to the point where people were dying now. And now he's been speaking out against the rest of it because he's not bound by this idea that he has to toe the line. Otherwise, he's not going to be able to practice medicine because he just took early retirement. So now he's speaking out against all of it, against the way COVID was handled, against the way the vaccines being handled, the whole nine yards. And he mentioned very accurately that the decisions that are being made today regarding COVID and the vaccine are not about people's health. They are political. And this is something that we said right in the very beginning. And you and I talked about this when you're on the show last time. And now uh, I, I should let you know, in in Alberta, one of our ministers, Minister Casey Madu, who was the Minister of Justice at the time that I was jailed for daring to uh, break the public health uh, rules, he went public and said, this was never about health. It was always about politics and government control. Now we have actually a court ruling on the record in Alberta where Justice uh, Dunlop said plain as day that the health orders that were issued were illegal because they were political. So we had a public health emergency. It's supposed to be run by the CMOH, our Chief Medical Officer of Health, because doctors know best in a public health emergency. But she went to cabinet and the government and asked them what to do. So their political decisions interfered with medicine. And because that happened, the orders were illegal. And that's on the record in court. So at least in Alberta, things are starting to move in the right direction. And I'm hoping to see that in the States too, because like, like you said, you're not the only doctor that's going through this. There's uh, you know, there's, I can't even count uh, at least a couple dozen doctors that I've become aware of speaking out down there. So with that said, knowing this is about politics and not medicine and it's harming people, like where do, where do you go next? What's your, what's your remedy for this? How do we get past this? And also, um, who is who's supporting you to get through this with the with all the junk you have? Well, the, the next steps are um, I have to file an internal uh, appeal process with the American Board of Internal Medicine. A few days ago, I submitted a demand to dismiss it based on procedural and substantive grounds. I anticipate they'll completely ignore me. You know, as a lead up to this, Senator Ron Johnson called uh, Richard uh, Barron of ABIM out and said, listen, why don't you come meet with Dr. McCullough? Uh, let's face the issues together. Uh, the ABIM refused to even respond to him. Senator Bob Hall from Texas did the same thing because they know my Senate testimony was the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And it's to the best of my ability based on where we were in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I've testified twice in the U.S. Senate. I, I co-led the five hour special U.S. Senate session on COVID-19, a second opinion, testified twice in the Texas State Senate, North Carolina, New Hampshire, um, Pennsylvania. Uh, and so I've been very forthright, forthright with Americans. I'm a frequent contributor on Fox, Newsmax, uh, OAN, uh, a variety of news stations have been on ABC. I've published 60 papers in the peer-reviewed literature on COVID-19, one of the most published people in the field. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very honest uh, and open with the public on where we are in the pandemic. Uh, I clearly have the public support behind me. American Board of Internal Medicine doesn't. I'm gonna have to uh, mount an appeal, a legal appeal, call witnesses and, and likely file a lawsuit. And, and I don't expect fairness because the courts are corrupt right now. The courts many times are not even allowing cases to move forward. They say they don't have any standing. 
but I have to take all the steps that I'm doing and, and remain one step ahead. So one of the things I've done is I've taken a position and helped in the formation of the wellness company. That sounds like something that was happening in Canada. What's uh, what, what's going on with that? Do you want to elaborate a bit? Yeah, you're right. The wellness company was formed by Canadian e-commerce juggernaut Foster Colson out of British Columbia, a Canadian, a freedom fighter, founded this company, is headquartered in Florida, and it's a national healthcare company. And it has important verticals, including uh, access to doctors at a very low cost. And uh, there's a monthly uh, maintenance fee, I believe a 999, and then easy access to doctors, very affordable. Uh, uh, independent pharmacies that are linked, uh, in vitro diagnostics, imaging, uh, health and wellness, uh, nutraceuticals, supplements, uh, as well as uh, health media. Uh, and this is a terrific company. It's up and running. People are signing up in droves. Uh, even companies are offering it as a benefit. And uh, I can tell you, an alternative health system that will not deny patients uh, any of the medicines they need. No one will ever be denied hydroxychloroquine, ivernectin, budesonide, colchicine, any of the drugs that we rely on in COVID-19. No one's going to be denied uh, having an exemption for a vaccine. People are signing up in droves. So I'm the chief scientific officer. I'll be starting a new initiative where senior doctors provide uh, summary advice for patients and help them along. I'm very excited. So um, you know what happened is Temporally related to the ABIM decision to strip me, uh, I was actually terminated at my job here in Dallas as a practicing cardiologist. And it's a very uncomfortable meeting because the people terminating me didn't look like they wanted to terminate me. And, uh, you know, I have over a thousand patients a week calling for new appointments, jam packed schedules. You know, I'd be the last person you'd want to let go. But it's temporally related to this. I'm not saying it's due to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's something very dark going on. I think people are starting to get that message. Yeah, no kidding. And to the point where people are actually willing to mobilize and create parallel systems so that yeah. they can actually have their needs met. That's exactly what I was going to say is it sounds like this wellness company is going to be another, another tier because in Canada, basically, we couldn't go ahead and, and do ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, anything. But like we that. did. <laughs> yes. But we couldn't because it was federally regulated or they were basically told us, even though our healthcare system is done provincially, which I'm assuming is the same way in the states, right? It's all state run versus federal. So how do you skirt around that with the wellness company? Because that would be an interesting question for us here in Canada. The key is to have independent pharmacies uh, that are not subject to government interference like the big chain pharmacies, Walgreens and CVS, yeah. and then also to have no uh, attachments to insurance or the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to have a cash-based system. The, the trick what Colson did, which was brilliant, is make it affordable. Everybody can afford it. So it's not out of reach, which I think was a brilliant move. Yeah. And um, I think that's, and so it works based on economies of scale. And there's a big reliance on nutraceuticals and supplements. Uh, interests in deprescribing some of these drugs that just pile up in patients yeah. that aren't needed. Uh, focus on health and wellness. And uh, it's very exciting. I'm the chief scientific officer. Uh, we're now very active in this. So for me, it's a good transition. It's interesting because the American Board of Internal Medicine uh, actions appear to be uh, with the goal of silencing me, to try to silence me. And, and all they're going to do, just like the doctor you mentioned in Canada, is going to make me louder and yeah. more visible. Mm -hmm. uh, and really what's going on is I, I think they're willing to, in a sense, try to make an example out of me to silence the rank and file doctor and nurse. So you hear often that uh, people are becoming more aware. And I think they'd be a lot of people have been aware of this for a long time. We just haven't really bothered to do anything about it. But more people are realizing that healthcare isn't wasn't really healthcare it was a means to have you purchase drugs like you have this oh you need this pill you have this oh you need this pill and some people have been left feeling like well okay well i have a pill to treat the symptom of what's wrong with me but nothing is changing with my health um so it's it's it seems to me like healthcare isn't really healthcare it's just this giant machine that brings people in with the in Canada with the idea of free healthcare, 
and then sends them out with a prescription where they have to go and spend $2,000 a month on a drug. So it, the healthcare wasn't free at all. And in, in a lot of cases, it doesn't seem to be about health. It seems to be about business. Is that something that you've kind of seen in, in, in healthcare in your career? Yeah, I think in part that's going on, particularly in some areas, neuropsychiatric disease, as an example, uh, chronic pain syndromes. Uh, I, I agree. You know, in my field as an internist and cardiologist, 99% of the drugs I prescribe are generic. You know, I prescribe $3 drugs. So I, I don't think that's where um, the action is. Uh, but I think largely what happens is patients have lost their trust. The big issue is the vaccines. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. There are still doctors despite FDA warnings on heart damage, blood clots and neurologic damage, despite large numbers of deaths within days of taking the vaccines, there still are doctors who are telling patients to take the vaccines. Some doctors actually refuse to see a patient unless they knuckle under and take one of these vaccines. And so patients have lost their trust. And that actually brings us right back to Dr. William Mackey. So he's actually um, spearheading a mission yeah. to do with the more now than 80 doctors who have died suddenly, uh, all unexplained, all in, uh, you know, good health, not in a uh, risk age group, anything like that. And he's gone through a ton of data and he's compiled this list of all these doctors that have just died mysteriously. And of course, this isn't listed. Uh, it's not limited to doctors. We have, we see this right in front of our eyes every day, all the time. And the only... I would like to ask the people that are making the decisions to keep going on this, if we have all these unexplained deaths and something's happened now that hasn't happened in the past, what has changed that may have caused this? And should we be looking into this? I mean, we, do, we don't even have to say it's a vaccine. All we have to do is say something's different now than it was five years ago. People are dying suddenly. We need to find out why. And as long as they're interested in the truth, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a correlation made there. So that's one of the things that uh, Dr. Mackis is doing. So I'm going to, uh, after we're done here, I'm actually going to, I'll try and get you two connected so you can, uh, you know, have some discussions about this. Because it's, you're right, it's it's happening all over the place. And it blows my mind that doctors can see this right in front of them and continue to push this on people. And then the question comes why, but I don't even want to get into the why. I'd like to know the why. Absolutely, I'd like to know the why. Well, I'd like to know, but I don't want to ask. <laughs> let me. There, there's so much to unpack there. Let me. Let me start to to um, to synthesize a you know response. Uh, first off, our uh, CDC now on its weekly statistics indicates only eight percent of Americans are keeping up on these vaccines. Eight eight percent. I mean, ninety two percent of people have said forget it. So, I mean, I think that's an important proxy. I had a patient this week who had already taken four, maybe five shots, and she got COVID last fall, and she, and she is at risk. She's got heart disease and other problems. She looks pretty frail, and uh, and she got through COVID okay, and I asked her, is she gonna take more shots? And, and, and you know, it's pretty obvious they, they didn't work. Yeah. And uh, she goes, oh yeah, she goes, I think I'll take some more if they if they offer some more. And I said, well, you, you know, you're aware that you know, there's blood clots and heart damage and neurologic damage, and large numbers of people are dying. She goes, oh yeah, I'm aware of all that. And then uh, I said, well, then why would you take one? She goes, well, it, they just don't seem to affect me very at all. And so I think people have that false sense that while other people are dying, they themselves can't be hit. And uh, you know, there was, there was a nurse uh, who did well with the first, I think four shots in Saskatoon. And she goes into the pharmacy, she takes the bivalent booster and she's texting her daughter while she's waiting uh, to be observed. And she just dies right there in the pharmacy. You probably saw that case. Yeah. Um, so it brings up the point that people can do well with three or four or five shots and then die on the, that final shot. Uh, just a few things about death after vaccine. Uh, it's clearly happening uh, in Pfizer's court order documents released. Pfizer uh, had logged 1,223 deaths within 90 days of release of their vaccine. People are calling Pfizer and saying, listen, you know, my loved one took the your your, your product and, and died. Uh, our CDC VAERS system has uh, approaching um, uh, 15,000 uh, Americans that have died. A vast majority died within about four days of taking the shot. That could be as little as 1% of reality. I mean, that's hard to believe. It could be 1.4 million. The current uh, estimate on the underreporting factor comes in at 31. 
So that puts us at about yeah, probably 400 to 600,000 Americans have died. Wow. Uh, this would be worse than you know any any medicinal product. Usually four or five deaths, it's off the market. Um, swine flu is 25 deaths off the market. World Council for Health has a has, has put out a pharmacovigilance report on June 11th, 2022, not only just from the, the uh, US VAR system, but the UK yellow card system, EU UDRA, uh, the uh, WHO VigiSafe system, and, and have concluded uh, the deaths are real, they're related to the vaccine, uh, and uh, the, all the vaccines should be pulled off the market. Now, McLaughlin and colleagues from Queens did the only analysis of the vignettes of what actually happened when people died. And he concluded with his team, this is in April of 2021, that uh, about 86% of the time, there's no other explanation. The only smoking gun is the vaccine. And what McLaughlin was reporting disturbingly is that who was dying was our seniors, people over 85, certainly over 75. So there may be many, many deaths after vaccination, which are simply not appreciated because people are towards the end of their life anyway. Mm -hmm. That's how this number could be so big. What's catching our eye is young people dying. You mentioned you know, 80 Canadian doctors. I mentioned the nurse in Saskatoon, uh, and we can go on and on. Um, so we're watching notable figures die after the, the vaccine. And uh, UK cardiologist, uh, whose father died after the vaccine. His father was a prominent doctor in the Royal College and uh, Asim Malhotra, the young UK cardiologist, a dashing uh, young man uh, who was promoting the vaccine on Good Morning Britain early on. He uh, spent about a year uh, you know, contemplating this and he was communicating with me. He did his own analysis. He published two brilliant peer-reviewed papers and concluded the vaccines are not safe. So Malhotra has come out, he's been on TV shows all over, they need to be withdrawn from the market. And both uh, both Malhotra and myself are featured in a film and is called Until Proven Otherwise. And you can find it on the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation, VSRF. And in that film, we show how many people have died. And both of us conclude independently that the next person who dies suddenly and unexpectedly, where there's no history of antecedent terminal disease, there's no suicide, drug overdose, motor vehicle accident, they simply die, that unless the family tells us they have not taken a vaccine, we should consider it related to the vaccine until it's proven otherwise. So that's the reason why I think this is a very important statement. Let me give you a good example. Sean Kasten, uh, Democratic Congressman from Illinois, uh, took the vaccine. He was doing a lot of virtue signaling and tweeting, everybody else should take the vaccine and says his family's going to take the vaccine, his kids, and he takes his kids for the vaccine. And he indicates in the Hill that in fact, he's vaccinated his children and his 17-year-old daughter, who he indicates was perfectly healthy before all this. She dies in her sleep. And Kasten is, uh, he looks glazed. His eyes uh, look glazed over. Uh, he's obviously shocked and remorseful that this has happened, but he can't bring himself to accept the conclusion that in fact, the vaccine is the cause of death. We're seeing two patterns now, death that occurs uh, typically between three and 6 a.m. and then death during sports. Both times there's a surge of noradrenaline, cortisol and other hormones. And what's the substrate for this is subclinical myocarditis or heart inflammation that we now know in a paper by Mansugian and colleagues, that probably 2.3% of people take the vaccine actually get heart damage. They form a small scar in the heart, and then that's the site for which an abnormal heart rhythm is fatal develops, and it's stimulated by the catecholamines or the, the adrenaline. Well, you had also mentioned too about, uh, about people being in car accidents or something like that. I actually question that too because I actually know a lot of people who have lately been in car accidents and have fallen and they've just blank out and I want to know whether or not if there's any deaths or any serious injuries that are happening based upon that. Well, I tell you, that's a very good thought. Um, we do know when the cardiac arrest happens and you see these films of the athletes, they go down like a rock. They don't even have a chance to put out their arm. They, you know, they break their skull break their neck. I mean, it's an instantaneous collapse. Uh, there now is a, a published paper in the peer-reviewed literature that 
COVID-19 vaccines get into the brain and can cause seizures. So someone can be driving and have a seizure. So on my Substack, uh, Courageous Discourse, uh, I give a vignette of someone who I know, someone who we know here in Dallas. He's a roofing contractor and he has a first time seizure on the top of a hotel roof. And he almost falls to his death. One of his coworkers save him as he's in the throes of seizures. And uh, he's never had seizures before. He's never had any head trauma before. And the only smoking gun here is the COVID-19 vaccines, which are published to cause seizures. Wow. So I suppose um, I can't be so bold as to say, I mean, I could, but Facebook will just close my account. I can't be so bold as to say this is specifically causing this because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. However, I am a bystander and I'm observant. I see these things going on. I know something's different than it was three years ago. And what my question is, we're doing something new in medicine. This vac this vaccination is new in medicine, uh, technically new, as in we've never administered this to large groups of population before. When we do that, are we not supposed to be um, erring on the side of caution and attributing these things to that medical intervention until we can prove it otherwise, as you mentioned. Is that not we the do. prudent thing to do? Right, so the regulatory guidance, and this comes through uh, the US FDA and, and uh, you know pharmaceutical regulations that are followed. And I've chaired data safety and monitoring boards, two dozen randomized trials. It, it's clearly, if when it's temporarily related, anything within 30 days of a new product, it's due to the new product, period. Period, no discussion, anything within 30 days. Now, beyond that, it takes some additional analysis. Uh, one of the things that uh, should be done here is to apply the Sir Austin Bradford Hill criteria for causality. And I'll kind of walk you through it. Your, your Canadian listeners up there, you guys are pretty sharp. So I'll go over this. Um, the first criteria is, is it possible from a biologic perspective that the vaccines could cause death? Is it is the mechanism possible? Well, sure, the vaccines are genetic. Uh, they cause an uncontrolled production of the spike protein. The spike protein was engineered by US research, the US National Institutes of Health, and uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Harvard, and other universities. And that's and they proven. Did the work in, they did the work in Wuhan, China, but this is a US product. So the spike protein was engineered to be lethal. So the answer is yes, there's a lethal biologic mechanism of action. One of the questions you could ask is, uh, well, has there been autopsies that have shown that in fact, the spike protein is the cause of death? Yes, multiple autopsies, fatal neurologic, fatal cardiac and fatal thromboembolic syndrome. So, th so that's there. The second criterion, is it temporary related? And I said, yes, you know, almost all of it's within 96 hours of taking the shot. Now it can occur later on in smaller uh, rates, but it's strongly temporally related. The third criteria is, uh, is it a large signal or is it just, you know, one or two cases? Of, you know, it's a huge signal. It could be millions of people. I mean, this is not a, a trivial thing. It's a huge signal. The next uh, uh, criteria is, is it internally consistent? Meaning, are there other things that are near misses that you're observing that could be fatal? Yes, the FDA says it causes myocarditis. Yes, it causes uh, neurologic injury like Guillain-Barre syndrome, which can be fatal. And then it causes blood clots, which can be fatal. And, and so we see all these, uh, this internal consistency with um, uh, injury syndromes that in fact are you know well known to cause death. And then the next criterion is, is it externally consistent? Are we seeing this in the US like we're seeing it in Canada and the UK and Europe and Australia? Yes, it's perfectly consistent across the globe. Last criteria, have we seen it in a randomized placebo controlled trial? Yes. So there the Pfizer clinical trials program in September of 2021 was kind of fully published doing the journal of medicine. There's slightly more deaths with Pfizer than there are placebo. And uh, an analysis in the British Medical Journal by Freeman and Doshi and colleagues suggests that these signals were even there in the randomized trial data. So what I've just gone for your gone through for your listeners, and I'm trained as an epidemiologist. I trained at University of Michigan, one of the best universities in the, in the nation. Uh, I can tell you that the vaccines are causing 
injuries, disabilities, and deaths, according to the Bradford Hill criteria. That means on a more probable than not, and, and almost, uh, almost certainly a clear and convincing basis that the vaccines are the cause of death. And so Malhotra and I are right that it is the vaccine until proven otherwise. I'm assuming you've had this conversation with uh, uh, Governor Greg Abbott. You know, government officials uh, have been variable in terms of meeting with uh, academic authorities like me. So Senator Ron Johnson, I've testified for him twice in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Senator Bob Hall, um, I've met and worked with uh, gubernatorial candidate Kari Lake in uh, Arizona, uh, uh, candidate uh, Scott Jensen, who lost in Minnesota, Doug Mastriano, who lost in Pennsylvania. Um, I've had a, you know an array of other authorities reach out to me, but Abbott is not one of them. Even when he got sick with COVID, I thought maybe he'd need some help. He took the vaccine. It obviously wow. didn't work, and he got sick with COVID, um, but he never reached out. Um, I've had people in the former Trump administration reach out to me, but we just haven't had the, the handshake there. I'm willing to help anyone uh, in a government right now get on the right track of things because there are so many people who are on the wrong side of history. What you're saying, Chris, is very reasonable, that we should be conservative. We should be, it's natural to be conservative. It's, it's, it's better to be safe than sorry. It's better to cause no harm than plunge forward and cause more harm. And especially in the perspective that we were under the impression that COVID was going to have people falling over dead in the streets, and it never did. It was never the impact that they said it was going to be. It actually proved to be quite mild in comparison to other other things. So, yeah, I I, I, I can't wrap my head around the why. Why do I still see billboards? Why do I still see... Um, or hear radio ads telling people to stick this in their children. Why do I see this? And the reason I asked about if you'd, if you'd uh, had a conversation with uh, Governor Abbott, our premier here, she's she seems to be very uh, freedom-minded and very, you know, very uh, pro-medical choice. Uh, I've had, I, I actually have the privilege of being able to have conversation, conversations conversations with her. I don't stumble my words like that when I do. Um, she answers the phone when I call. And so we've talked about these things. And my question is, have have you been contacted by anybody in the Alberta government to have a conversation with the premier of our province, Daniel Smith, in the last uh, few weeks? No, I, but I tell you, I'd welcome it. We should meet in the whistle stop. I've got to get a, a selfie with you for my uh, Instagram. Uh, let me tell you what, uh, we have a situation where I think the world's been overtaken with fear. You're right. The case fatality rates is published by our CDC and people under 65, way less than 1%. This was never a risk. Uh, and our governments ignored very important milestones. In the United States, uh, the very first group to recommend how to treat COVID patients was the Frontline Critical Care Network, FLCC. You may have heard about them. Mm -hmm. That was in March of 2020. They were ignored by the US government and they found a very early success with ivermectin. The next milestone was Dr. Pierre Corey testified in the US Senate in May of 2020, uh, telling Americans that steroids worked uh, in the hospital. And again, uh, Corey was largely ignored. Hospitals were slow to adopt steroids. Uh, the next milestone is I published the first outpatient treatment protocol, sequential multidrug therapy for COVID-19 in the American Journal of Medicine, one of the best journals in the in the world. And um, uh, and uh, uh, I can tell you at that time, uh, it's still the most downloaded and utilized paper in the United States. You know, I was called by the White House. I was called by Peter Navarro and later on Senator Ron Johnson. But, you know, our innovation should have been immediately adopted uh, by October of 2020. We had the first home treatment guide with the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Again, the, the U.S. government ignored our efforts. We had started to form telemedicine networks. And then I think the big one that probably did the most harm was uh, ignoring the Great Barrington Declaration, which came out October 4th of 2020. It was signed by nearly a million people, scientists, experts. And that was authored by Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who's one of my, uh, in my group at Fox News, a frequent contributor. Uh, Martin Koldorf, also in our group at Fox News from Harvard. And then Sunitra Gupta from Oxford. 
And the Great Barrington Declaration said, listen, we've got this figured out now. We can just treat and take care of the high-risk seniors, protect them, and then everybody else, go about your business. Don't close down anything. A whistleblower stays open. Churches stay open. And, and, and the Great Barrington made a lot of sense. We don't need to put masks on people who don't have the illness. Just protect our seniors. Now, the Great Barrington was not against vaccines. And it said right there, it said, listen, if there's a safe vaccine, it's going to be a limited use in our senior citizens, nursing homes, fine. None of us were against vaccines. But when this thing rolled out, none of those important milestones were followed. We went on to testify in the U.S. Senate November uh, uh, 19th of 2020, then December 10th of 2020. I led the, the November hearings, Pierre Corey again in the um, December hearings. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we pushed as hard as we could. We went an entire year and we had a five-hour U.S. Senate uh, testimony on January 24th, 2022, where we called our leaders. We had seats for all our public health leaders. They didn't show up. They couldn't face us. They couldn't face the music of a second opinion from expert doctors, vaccine developers, scientists, patients, lawyers. We had it all laid out for them. We had the press there. No one showed up. And we were in the Kennedy caucus room in the U.S. Senate. So it's not like we were a rogue group. I mean, this was a, a, an official Senate activity. So I can tell you, in America, we've done everything we can to bring the truth to the country. We've held uh, innumerable scientific meetings all over the country. Uh, I'm on the news as I am now, uh, you know, to an exhaustive level. You, you can tell the level at which I cite the literature, how I analyze mm -hmm. uh, things. Uh, you know, I, I hold myself up as, uh, you know, equal to none uh, in the scientific integrity uh, category. You know, we have a situation now where there's some type of operation being conducted on the people. Let's face it. Yeah. Well, it's it, yeah. When it's this blatantly obvious that that this is no, it, it isn't about health. If it was about health, any one of those milestones could have been followed at any point throughout, and it would have changed the course of health for every person on this planet. They weren't followed. Instead, it was political decision after political decision. But I do, I do want to mention something that. Uh, it, I'm sure you know this, and it probably encourages you, but there were doctors and nurses treating people in their homes, taking time out of their day after work to go to people's homes and treat them with the McCullough Protocol, and they saved countless lives in this province. I know some of those doctors. I heard the stories about them, you know, going in the wee hours of the morning so nobody would know, but this is like something out of a movie where doctors have to work in the shadows against what the government says in order to save people's lives. And and the McCullough Protocol was uh, what was used the most here, as far as I know. So uh, it, thank you for that. It's true. And, you know, and, and I never said that drugs were perfect. We don't have large conclusive trials for any of them. But one thing we learned is we need to use drugs in combination. One drug doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, if we've learned anything, the, the new drug Paxlovid used alone, there actually is, it's so bad, the CDC has a health warning on it saying that it extends the course of disease, makes somebody infectious longer. It has very unimpressive results in the real world studies. The clinical trials look pretty good, but uh, it, you know that's just how it works in clinical practice over 40 drug-drug interactions, and uh, it's difficult to use. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, far safer. As things have shaken out, the analysis is here. The most important thing to do is to kill the virus in the nose. Mm -hmm. By using virucidal nasal washes, dilute uh, povidone iodine, dilute hydrogen peroxide, colloidal silver, uh, xylitol. Believe it or not, you can even use dilute baby shampoo. But you just can't let the virus multiply in the nose for you know for uh, you know five days and then invade the body. So the nasal washes and then the oral gargles. You know we you know, Listerine works fine, Standard Scope works fine, the dilute iodine solution. Every Canadian, even you backwoods guys up in the northern provinces, ought to have a little iodine bottle. It's going to save your life. That also works against uh, the cold, common cold. So we learned that that was most important. There is a layer of nutraceutical supplements, which are not curative, but they're helpful, including zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, and then an over-the-counter drug in the U.S. called famotidine that we use in high doses. You know, those six things that I mentioned, everybody can have in a shoebox uh, at home. You don't even need a doctor. Uh, and it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's great to be able to, to, to manage it, particularly the Omicron variant, which is, uh, which is so mild. Now, the one supplement I think is, deserves specific mention is vitamin D. 
Mm -hmm. you guys don't get much up there when it's minus 30. Uh, every single paper on vitamin D shows those with good vitamin D stores, at lower rates of COVID, milder cases. There's even been a meta-analysis suggesting there's you know, really a preventive treatment effect. So uh, we do feature uh, vitamin D. And, and then uh, beyond that, we talked about the antivirals, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, uh, Paxlovid or Molnupiravir, but you know, there's protocols worldwide don't even use those. And they're so not they're limited not to COVID. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're not essential. Uh, and I think all of them have a modest impact. The most dynamic drug, I would say, it took a while for us to learn how to use it. Um, but if I was stuck on an island and I wanted to, to, to survive, the two drugs I'd have would be uh, ivermectin at 0 0.6 milligrams per kilogram per day. You need to go five to 10 days on that. There's not a single trial that's actually used it like we do in clinical practice. The other drug that's really dynamic is in the next layer down, which is steroids, prednisone. So either inhaled budesonide or oral prednisone uh, works fine. We use aspirin as a blood thinner. Remember, the, the COVID itself can precipitate strokes and heart attacks. So we do want to use aspirin um, at 325 milligrams a day. And then we rarely nowadays have to use serious blood thinners like uh, Lovenox or Anoxaparin in uh, bedridden seniors, those with um, you know uh, bed-bound in nursing homes. But that's called the McCullough Protocol. Uh, looking backwards, it could have saved two-thirds of uh, lives spared two-thirds of hospitalizations worldwide. The attribution here is that it probably has spared uh, tens of millions of, um, of lives and, and, and potentially hundreds of millions of, of hospitalizations. It's really an astonishing thought to think that early treatment did have the biggest impact. I mean, there, there's nothing to suggest masking did or hand sanitizers or, or lockdowns. And the inpatient care never really advanced. You know, current inpatient mortality in a recent study by Graspa and colleagues in JAMA uh, showed if somebody ends up on the ventilator, even if they're fully vaccinated, the mortality rate 62%. That's with, with adjudicated COVID-19 pneumonia. I'm telling you, the vaccines don't stop uh, the illness. The, the two things that, that make it milder and prevent hospitalization and death are prior immunity, so a prior episode, and then early treatment. Those are the most important thing to remember. I'll, I'll end on a piece of good news. Uh, a, a paper by Chin and colleagues in the New England Journal of Medicine, it's on my Substack, Courageous Discourse, studied 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 staff. That's a great study because people are right with each other. You can't escape it. They know who got sick. They, they've got everything. And what they found out is that if you've already had COVID, it doesn't matter if you take a vaccine or not. There's a 0% chance of dying, zero. So you can take that to the bank. COVID-19 prior infection is the biggest checkbox you want to check. It doesn't matter if there's new variants coming out or anything like that, that would still hold true. It's, it holds to this date through the Omicron, through the 2022 era. You know, we're praying that we the virus doesn't take a turn to become more virulent. And that's been predicted by uh, vaccinologist Gert Vandenbosch. But it hasn't been uh, observed, in my opinion. The virus has gotten progressively milder with the second and third and, and fourth infections. So with these uh, vaccines that are coming out now, are they still dealing with the original variant or have they actually changed it, supposedly, and whether or not they're even effective? And obviously, we've talked about they're not effective. But the new boosters, this is important for Canadians, the new boosters that are out uh, let's take Moderna. Moderna is 50% of the old vaccine, which is completely obsolete and doesn't work, and 50% of the new bivalent vaccine, which is antibodies directed against BA4, BA5. So this new vaccine could generate potentially three or four new spike proteins in the human body, all set loose to cause damage. And the Moderna booster is set, the total dose is half of what it used to be. It's 50 micrograms. Pfizer is different. Pfizer is, again, half of the old obsolete vaccine and then half of the new vaccine, but they kept the, the old dose at 30 micrograms. You know, the bivalent boosters uh, were purchased by the U.S. government before the studies were done. It was already a done deal. And when the studies were done, we were disappointed to find out it was only in eight mice. And I can tell you the mice were miserable. They got 
Omicron anyway, even if they got the new vaccine, it didn't work at all in mice. There was this rise in, in antibodies against Omicron, but that's a false surrogate. That's not something to rely upon. And the FDA in its theater approved the EUA vaccine. And we look into it, the emergency use authorization doesn't strictly require FDA approval. So what we've seen is a lot of theater here. Emergency use authorization is a mechanism for the US military. And, and the US military and the Secretary of Health and Human Services rolled out these vaccines. So this is much more like a military operation. Honestly, the FDA really doesn't need to approve or not, that's theater. The CDC doesn't really need to put it on the schedule or not, that's theater. Uh, we know these are not uh, commercial products because people can't buy them. Insurance companies don't approve them or disapprove them. They're actually made by defense contractors. Uh, they're not specifically made by Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson, Johnson, AstraZeneca. They're actually made by a consortium of defense biopharmaceutical contractors through DARPA, including the final fill and finish. One of the things that's really disturbing is not only are they pre-purchased, but there's no inspections afterwards for safety, quality, or purity. None. These roll off the line. People have no idea what they're getting. It sounds safe. With with all the information that uh, you, we've just been talking about, we usually post this video on Facebook, and I agree. Like, if we post this, chances are we're going to get silenced. So we usually end up trying to put it on uh, somewhere else. Like even YouTube silenced us, uh, BitChute, Rumble, a little bit better. How have you been silenced that way, even just uh, posting anything? I know you, you go on uh, Substack, but anywhere else that you would suggest to get the word out? You know, I had the largest doctor account on Twitter. Um, I had over half a million followers. I had some social media experts told me, you know, in some days I had like 8 million people reading my tweets, but um, the, the Twitter was actively unfollowing me. They were hunting me through the, uh, through the matrix, if you will. Yeah. And uh, now we learn through American First Legal, through, through the Freedom of Information Act, that Twitter was regularly meeting with the CDC and government agencies to craft the false narrative. So they were actually pumping out a false narrative through Twitter that the vaccines are safe and effective. And they were trying to silence anybody who would get in their way and actually uh, suspend their accounts. So my account has been suspended now for about a month or two. And Elon Musk uh, and his Twitter team has not restored me, even though I got a case number. Twitter says they're still working on it. And I think sometimes this, this could be a case of jealousy. You know, Elon Musk, even though he's got a lot of money, uh, he's not number one on Joe Rogan because you're looking at him. I'm the all-time record holder. So Musk has more money, but I must be more interesting. And I've, you know, I've, I've told publicly, listen, I'm happy to meet with him and go over the issues. I'm the number one doctor on Twitter. Let me back on. My followers want to follow. I'm active on True Social, Getter, yeah. uh, Instagram. They all have active shadow banning programs on me. Uh, I've had Telegram blow up multiple times. Uh, I started Substack, which is actually a wonderful way of, uh, you know, in a, in a highly graphical manner, getting it out. People uh, subscribe and it keeps going and going. You know, I'm on the major TV stations. I'm going to go on here in uh, an hour or so. So you can always find me out there. Um, I suggest you probably go ahead and put, put this on your Rumble channel, Locals go that way put links through the other social media to it yeah. uh you know don't use my last name uh try to find some other way you're right i'm being hunted on youtube wow. uh, there's no doubt about it this you is... can't post anything on youtube anymore well you know i recently went on the show on saturday go pick it up on rumble and you can link to it i went on with alex jones uh on Infowars, and alex jones currently has a jury award against him for a billion dollars yeah, a billion gonna... for for his words so that shows you how powerful it is his words are worth a billion dollars i told alex why don't they make it a trillion and you know i agree with joe rogan famed podcaster joe rogan says alex jones is the most misunderstood person in the world i agree i went on alex jones i laid everything out uh, in a highly visible evidence-based format uh and that's on rumble uh, you could put yours on Rumble and then link to it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, we have a situation now where censorship and reprisal are off the rails. The only thing that will satisfy, it appears, global governments is to take a shot in the arm as frequently as possible. Our CDC director was out yesterday tweeting 
that we should be taking a shot just two months after the last shot to get on with these new boosters. Uh, The human body cannot keep taking on genetic code that it can't get rid of. Human body cannot be loaded with this Wuhan spike protein engineered by universities in the United States. This is a disaster. The only way human body stays healthy is to keep that stuff out of the body. Uh, There's no COVID emergency. Everybody's flying and going to restaurants. They feel fine. There's no monkeypox emergency. And by the way, in the United States, we actually have a continued declaration of both a COVID and a monkeypox emergency. Neither one exists. Wow. Well, with the declaration of emergency, that gives some extraordinary powers to some folks. So they like that. Um, It's true. So Um, you guys, I'm going to have to sign off because we're at the hour. Okay. But uh, it's been great to chat with you. I hope it warms up up there. If you want to come down to Texas, we can have a, a steak and sit outside. Well, unfortunately, uh, I can't go to the U.S. yet. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can try. Our friends just got down. Maybe we can. But I have another yeah. proposal for you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Carrie and I have been talking about this more and more lately. So uh, it's going to happen. We want to bring a bunch of doctors up to Alberta and arrange a meeting with our premier and cabinet. And Let's do it. If I'd be you, happy to. Okay. I'd be happy to. I'm, I'm myself and Pierre Corey, Paul Merrick, uh, Ryan Cole. We're the, you know, some of the most testimony worthy people in the world right now. Get Asim Malhotra from the UK. Uh, you know, we have, we've done it all basically. And, uh, and we're happy to help out. Uh, you know, my wife's Canadian. My kids are dual citizens. Yeah, we wow. want Canada to get back. Our hearts are broken when we see what's gone up there with our Canadian friends. It's as if Canada, not you guys, but as if Canada's lost its mind. Yeah. Okay. I got to go. See you thank guys. You right. Well, thank Thanks. you very much. You're amazing. Thank you. Well, that was an amazing interview. It was awesome. You know, he always has so much knowledge and so much info to say and we definitely need to get him and uh the other doctors up here so for those of you that may have a really detailed eye you can probably see that it is now later in the day as a matter of fact it's actually dark behind my uh behind my window because we ended up taking this long extended break before we were able to get back and kind of wrap up this video and in the meantime we had actually talked about when and uh the i guess the the situation and logistics of getting the doctors up here so what people may or may not know is there is only a certain amount of time that uh the the mlas are actually sitting in the legislature really just um until the end of november and then they're really on just monday tuesday wednesdays and thursdays so we're going to try and reach out and see whether we can get something involved uh on a friday and december might be way too busy so i think moving it into january and then we'll get um an edmonton legislature calendar and try and figure out when we could possibly do that in january i'd I'd like to see it around january 16th yeah january 16th your court date that'd be neat which by the way uh is getting juicier by the day yes yeah you've sent me a few things and they're like no i haven't no you have not no you're right we'll edit that <laughs> part out <laughs> that's all right you're my spiritual advisor so i'm allowed <laughs> yeah it's um it's ridiculous the mm-hmm. stuff that uh, can actually happen and uh, my birthday happens to be around that weekend too of, uh, it is yes and actually you're actually going to make it another year uh maybe we'll see can't we make never thought you were going to make it past 33. I know. And here I am, 34. You just yep. never know. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I think that's – let's uh, let's try and reconvene and get some time together so that we can do uh, a, a meeting with some other doctors. And in the meantime, I know we have a couple of other um, online, um, online meetings and online interviews that we're going to be doing in the next little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those of you who may or may not know, but we did want launch an official the Chris and Carrie Show dot com website as well as all social media, and uh, and obviously just after seeing what Dr. McCullough was talking about today, we may end up getting banned on Facebook. So yes, uh, because you can no longer say the truth. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good thing to uh, 
to point out. And uh, so we will be on Rumble and BitChute and a bunch of other things too. So um, we've posted that on social media. So otherwise you can just punch in, in, in your favorite uh, social media, the Chris and Carrie show. And it and should boom, right there. There we are. Put your boom, boom. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Well, then I guess it's oh. good night. Yeah. And, but before that, um, I just want to mention so, this latest interview we did with Peter McCullough, we're on a first name basis now, uh, Peter and I, just so you know. Yeah, Peter. I'm still Dr. McCullough. So, Dr. McCullough, um, he's a good doctor. He's a really good doctor, like world class. Um, the guy testifies in front of the U.S. government all the time. He's been doing it for years. Um, he's written tons of papers, peer-reviewed stuff. He's made a huge impact in medicine and health uh, to everybody's benefit. And the government and government organizations are going after him because he dared to be a doctor. Just like they are in Alberta with Dr. Manakis and uh, Dr. Nagasi, Dr. Gary Davidson, Paul Alexander, Roger Hodgkinson, Dennis Baldry. I mean... Charles Hoff, the list, the list goes on and on and on. Is there more Eric Payne, Ryan Cole? Like I, we could just, we could go for hours talking about doctors who are trying to be, uh, they're trying to silence. And whether you agree with them or not, the one question you should be asking yourself is, first of all, actually there's two. The first one is, why are they trying to silence doctors? Mm -hmm. And the second one is, um, shouldn't doctors be allowed to participate in science. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. Like right from day one, they they should have been allowed to be doctors. Yeah. And not be told not to uh, to administer certain certain medications. Yeah, and right now they're being told if you don't do exactly as this organization says, um, you're not a doctor. And that's like complete BS. And it's harming people, it's killing people, it's still happening, nothing's changed really. So uh, these are some important questions that have to be answered, I think. I am H-O. I am H-O. in my humble opinion in text. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All I heard was H-O. Oh, I thought, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was, yeah. That's your car. An H-O? Mm -hmm. No, it's an S-H-O. Oh, right. Show for show. <laughs> All right. All well, right. Uh, I guess that's all I've got. Is you got anything else? No, that's that's about it. Okay. Yeah, I gotta go and eat some dinner. Go over to huh? my, go, go visit my family now. I've been eating nonstop all day because I haven't been smoking little cigars. So now I'm just stuffing my face to distract myself. Awesome. I'm still drinking the same coffee I had this morning. Hey, you know what? So am I. But I'm drinking it out of a Yeti that yes. I got from. Kevin oh, from the podcast, Kevin Unscripted, where you can find an interview that he did with me. And uh, I got to say, this Yeti is awesome. I do not like reusable cups because they just, people leave them all over the place and I end up washing them and I think they're ridiculous. But this cup, the coffee's still warm. It's like six hours old. I know. it's. I mean, it's I not hot, but it's warm. It's I a great cup. Use yeah. it all the time. And Kevin Unscripted, his podcast is great. Um, he really does a good job of kind of digging into things and having real conversations just like Carrie and I do. So uh, if you get a chance, head on over to his, his uh, page and check his stuff out. Too. And he's also Thank on, you. he's on Spotify, which we're going through he the is. process of getting on Spotify as well. So it's, yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, that's one of the places you gotta be, you gotta be on that because for the most part, we're, you know, we put in some, uh, some tables and some graphs, but uh, for the most part, it's just us talking. So you can easily listen to this while you're driving and especially yeah. we seem to be driving across Alberta for three or four hours at a time. So that's usually when I catch up on my, my, uh, podcasts and stuff. So no, it works out great. So yeah, we are going to put our stuff on there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We'll put it right next to Joe Rogan. Yes. Can we do that? Can we, can we sit beside Joe? We'll be at like 1.4 million and we'll be at like six. Oh, 000. perfect. Yeah. We'll be right close. So yeah. You might even find us linked in his uh, page, so that'd be great. Yeah, referenced, reference material. <laughs> yeah, as in, who are these punks talking about me in their basement? <laughs> Love you, Joe. They drink beer out of and coffee. Six-hour-old coffee. Ooh. All right, all right.
let's wrap this up and uh, continue on your evening. Okay. Sounds good. Night, everybody. Good night.